Well, today is perhaps the uh, most significant day in the life of the Christian church, and hopefully maybe even uh, the most significant day for believers uh, in Jesus Christ. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This past Friday was Good Friday. It was not a good day that day that Jesus was crucified, but it's called Good Friday because it's good for us. And so we celebrate once again on Friday the anniversary of, of Jesus' death on the cross. And that in itself, for a man to be crucified wasn't unique because the Roman government executed probably thousands of criminals, people. If you've watched the Bible series on Sunday night, I think maybe it was even in the first episode, uh, there was a rebellion and the Roman government put down that rebellion and Chris quelched it and they, they had pictures there, images of uh, many, many men who were crucified. So that in itself wasn't really unique in Jesus' crucifixion. But yet he had talked about the fact that he was the life, the resurrection and the life. He was the Son of God. He talked about tear this temple down, I'll build it in three days. He talked about if you live in me, you live forever, and I'm the bread of life, and all of those things. And so there had to be, uh, a, a, there had to be an accounting and a, and a validation of the fact that this crucifixion of Jesus Christ was indeed something different from all the others. And God proved that on Resurrection Sunday, on that first Easter morning. That Jesus died literally on that cross. He was dead and buried in the tomb. But the third day God brought him back from the dead. And he was the conquering hero. I'm told that out of the many tombs that are in Westminster Abbey is the tomb of a distinguished British Army officer, uh, James Wolfe. And that Wolfe died in a particular battle after he had been shot three times. And right before he died he heard that they had won the victory over that enemy. And he said, God be praised, I die contented. And the words written on his tomb are these, slain in the moment of victory. I think those could well describe what Jesus experienced for us on that Good Friday on the cross. That Jesus voluntarily laid his life down, knowing he would take it up later, and died on that cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live forever, so that we could experience the resurrection. So Jesus was slain in the moment of victory. Now, at the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, people faced a dark and gloomy time. Now, I know every generation uh, deals with their own issues, and we've dealt with ours certainly over the last several years. You know, it's kind of like what they experienced the shaky economy, uh, the Roman government had expanded from Asia through Europe, people were in slavery, um, there was no great medical care, no social security, none of those kinds of benefits, none of the civil rights that we enjoy today. And there were people who because of all of that heard the good news of Jesus Christ, what He preached. And it was, it was teaching that astounded them. They never heard it before. That God loves you and you can have a personal relationship with this Creator of the universe who spoke and brought the world into existence. And that Jesus said your sins can be forgiven and you can live forever in this relationship with God. And so people pinned their hopes on Jesus Christ. They followed Him and they listened to His teachings that they had never heard from any other scribe or rabbi before in their life. They saw Him heal the sick and feed the hungry. And they thought, surely this is the Messiah. Because He promised them a tremendous future. And then came Friday. And they watched Jesus die on that cross. And for many of them their hopes died that day. But then came that Sunday morning. We now call it Easter. It was a resurrection day for them. And Sunday, every Sunday should be known as a resurrection day. 
On the first day of the week the, the tomb was discovered that it was empty and that in itself wasn't good news and we'll see an account of that a little bit later on. Where did Easter come from? Well it probably came from a variety of traditions and all of celebrating spring and celebrating new life that began at spring and all of that. Uh, one old German term means sunrise and they think that's where it might have come from. But we know that it's the oldest celebration in the Christian church. And one of the graves that we greet each other is what we did earlier uh, that we say He is risen and His response is back, He is risen indeed. Because we have affirmed that resurrection in our own life. We know that Jesus is alive. And for over 2,000 years now the foundation of our faith and of our belief system has been based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If He had just died on that cross it would be an incomplete uh, experience that God sent Him into this world for us. Because there had to be the death, the burial, and then the great resurrection that showed the power of God to take away our sins, to defeat sin, and to defeat death for all time, and then to bring us back to life, just as He brought Jesus back to life. I also look at the resurrection account uh, that we find in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, now I chose this one for a particular reason, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. But when we read this one, we see that it's not necessarily good news as to what they discovered. And the women really weren't overjoyed and delighted with um, the news that they discovered and what they did. It wasn't until you read later on, and you find that when the resurrected Lord Jesus appeared to people, then they began to catch on. Then they caught that living hope that we'll talk about later as well. So in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, when the, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, and watch this, and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Fortunately those last few verses change after the reality of, a, of the resurrection of Christ and after He uh, encounters people and they know for sure that He is resurrected. Well what about the resurrection of Jesus? Why is it so significant? Why do we celebrate that? Why do most of you put forth the special effort to be here today? Some of you are wearing something new, kind of a symbol of new life that God gives to us on Easter through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead proves that God has the power that Jesus said He had over everything, over sin, over death, over the grave. And it had to be the resurrection of Jesus Christ that would affirm that. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that gives us hope. The hope that our sins can be forgiven. The hope that we can conquer great, the grave. The hope that we will be resurrected and live with God forever in that place called heaven. And so it's the resurrection of Christ that, that, that we have to look at and see is the bedrock of our foundation. 
It proves everything about Jesus Christ, everything that He said that He was, and everything that He said that He would do. He backed up the power of God. And they finally realized that this was God's power who had, who had brought Jesus back from the dead. Now, we know the, the remarkable change that happened in, in these people once they discovered this. And you read that account in all four Gospels of the Resurrection and you see that, how they changed. But what about, what about the people who were closest to Jesus? What happened to them? What, what changed them? What, 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 what happened to them? They were His closest followers, the disciples in particular. One of our members this week sent me an email about um, a description of how uh, the, the um, traditions about how all of the disciples died later on, and they all died as martyrs, willing to die for the story of Jesus Christ. So it could not be some kind of made-up fairy tale that they were willing to die for Jesus Christ. They were martyrs, killed because of their faith. Now, before that, the resurrection, they were cowards. None of them stayed with Jesus when He went to the cross, except John, who was with uh, Jesus' mother. All of them forsaken. They all left. They were all cowards. But when they experienced the risen Jesus Christ and the power and hope He brought into their life, they were changed into heroes. They were willing to give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. What a miraculous transformation in their life. Now, why did I choose the account of the resurrection from Mark? There's that interesting phrase, tell his disciples and Peter. Why did there need to be a special message to Peter? It's because of what Peter did. You know, Peter heard about Jesus talking about his impending death and the fact that they would all fall away. And Peter said what? Lord, if everybody else falls away, I will stay with you. I will not forsake you. And remember what Jesus said to him? He said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And that's exactly what Peter did. Man, I don't know him. He took out an oath or a curse that I don't know that man. And the third time he denied him and the rooster crowed, accounting Luke says that Jesus looked at Peter and they made eye contact. And that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He knew he had denied his Lord. He knew that he had betrayed his Lord. He wasn't at the cross either. He would already left. That's why the cross and the resurrection account from Mark has that emphasis to tell Peter as well. Now, Jesus knew that Peter needed hope. Peter needed to know he could be forgiven. He needed to know he could be restored. He needed to know that his failure wasn't permanent. He needed to know he could be useful in the kingdom of God. All of us here today, if we're a believer or not, we've all experienced that in our life where we've sinned, where we've disappointed God, where we've let Jesus down. Peter did, and he knew that pain of it. We never have had Jesus to make eye contact with us, though, like He did with, with Peter. And so, there was good news for them to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus had a special message for him to experience the resurrection and the forgiveness that He offers. And then there's that very moving scene near the end of the Gospel of John where the resurrected Jesus Christ meets with the, the disciples out on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he has a meal prepared and he eats with them. And then he encounters Peter once again. And three times he asks Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Jesus gave him something to do three times. He said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, what difference did the resurrection and the encounter that he had with the risen Christ making his life. 
And what difference will it make today in your life that once again, or maybe for the first time, you're worshiping on Easter Sunday and you're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, for some people, this is, a, this is the one Sunday out of the year that you put forth the effort to get up early and you've kind of cleaned up a little bit. You got some new clothes, maybe, and you're here to worship. What is the significance of this day? The significance of it is it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrate that every Sunday. Every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday. So it means to make a difference in our life, not on just one day out of the year, but all the way through our life. What about these people who encountered that risen Christ? What happened to them 5, 10, 15, 20 years after that? What happened to Peter after he encountered Jesus Christ? Well, I want you to listen to his writing in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter writes and says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now the catchphrase there is that living hope. So what does that living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for us now in 2013 and every day that we live after today? I want to share three things I think are of significance for you. First of all, it's the hope of Easter that transforms your life. Look how it transformed the lives of these early followers of Jesus. Look how it changed their mind about Jesus. When they pinned their hope on Him and then they saw Him die, they thought, There's no chance that He is the Messiah. He can't do what He promised to do. But then it was experiencing Him in the resurrection changed them, and it transformed their life. And we can experience that same transformation in at least two ways. First of all, through a new birth. Peter says that we've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, if Jesus had not been resurrected from the dead, there was no way we could be born again. But Jesus has been brought back from the dead. And that gives us the opportunity to experience a new life. A new beginning. That's what Easter symbolizes. That we've got a new life and we've got a new new meaning in our life. It means that we can be born spiritually just like we were born physically. Now, I, I would hope that everyone in here has accepted Christ and knows Him as Savior. But I want to tell you how you can make that decision to be a new person. First of all, you have to, to come clean with God and admit that you've sinned and you failed Him and you've betrayed Him and that you need a Savior. Secondly, you have to believe that what Jesus did on that cross when He died on that Good Friday and took away your sins, that you believe that and you're ready to claim that. And then thirdly, you have to trust in Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life and you follow Him and you allow Him to be the Lord of your life. Now, if you've never made that decision, uh, you need to make that because you haven't experienced a new birth. And when you experience that new birth and that that new beginning, that fresh beginning, then your name has a a spiritual birth that's recorded in the files of heaven. So, the opportunity to be transformed and be changed through a new birth. Secondly, through a new perspective. And that's also found in that word hope. The the way we use the word hope in our culture today is kind of a a weak way that we use it. Now, dictionary defines hope as the desire with expectation of obtainment. And it lists trust and reliance as synonyms. Now, how do we use the word hope? Well, we usually think of it in much less concrete terms than that. We're kind of like hoping against hope or hoping for the best. But that's not what the Bible thinks or, or means when it talks about hope. 
Whenever there is hope used in the Bible, in the Scriptures, it is always used with a certainty that it's going to come about. Hope means certainty. You know, we say things like, well, I hope I pass this test. You know, I have a job interview. I hope I get this job. So, I hope it doesn't rain on Easter Sunday with all the sunrise services. I hope warm weather comes quickly. You know, I, 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 hope, I hope for this. I hope for that. Peter's definition is, is something different. It's a living hope that gives us a new perspective on all of life. And we live in that dynamic power of the resurrection every day. Peter, uh, Philip Yancey is a prolific Christian writer. And in one of his writings, he tells about a very strange and ancient custom uh, when there is a death in the family of an African Muslim. And that close friends and family gather around the gravesite and they look at the, the, the body of the deceased one. And then somebody passes out peppermint candy. And they all put a piece of that peppermint candy in their mouth. And they just stand there and they just watch that dearly departed loved one. And then when the peppermint candy is dissolved, they all walk away. And it's just simply symbolic of the fact that they say life, like a peppermint, simply dissolves. Now, I read that account and my first thought was, and maybe some smarty out here has got the same thought, how did they do that before you had peppermint candy? I wonder what they used. But isn't that tragic? I mean, isn't that a sad way to, to, to think about death? Thank God that we as believers don't have to look at somebody and say, that's it. That's the end. That's all there is. There's life to come. There's more to come. You see, we need that new perspective in our world today. See, Peter wrote, wrote his letter to encourage believers who were being downtrodden, who were being persecuted. Some were being killed because of their faith. We worship today in the freedom of this country to do this. Nothing keeps you, from, except yourself, from getting up on Sunday mornings and coming to church. Not just Easter Sunday, but every Sunday it ought to be that way. But while we worship today, there are thousands of believers in other countries who are in prison because of their faith. And as we worship today, there are thousands of believers who will be slaughtered because they dare to believe in Jesus Christ. The Voice of the Martyrs tells us about 170,000 believers in other countries will die every year because they believe in Jesus Christ. Why do they do that? It's because the new perspective, the living hope that the resurrected Jesus Christ gives to us. Let me, let me tell you how Paul described it. This is a biblical definition of that certainty of hope. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, since we have, have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now here's the catchphrase. Listen to this. He says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. He said, We as believers have something that the rest of the world does not have, and that's a living hope. See, people are hurting today everywhere. I'm sure some of you have some hurts. You've got some disappointments in life. You know, you've, you've got some struggles in life. We all face that. But Peter reminds us that our living hope allows us to have a new perspective on life that we're willing to face any situation, any cause, 
with the faith in that we have in the resurrected Jesus Christ. I don't know who this guy is, but I just kind of, I, I just did a little search for, for hope. And some uh, very interesting website came up about um, inspirational quotes. And there was a guy by the name of Gilbert Benkin who wrote these words. He says, Other men see only a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. Isn't that what this living hope does for us? So that's how we can have a new perspective because we live life, we face every day with a living hope when we're in relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the second way that this hope of Easter impacts us. Uh, it assures your inheritance. You know what inheritance is. Somebody dies and leaves you something. You know, you didn't earn it, but for some reason your, your parents, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, somebody you don't even know maybe, uh, leaves you something, leaves you an inheritance. They have to die for that to take place. You know, you've seen bumper sticker probably. Usually I see it on, on the back of large RV uh, vehicles that are pulling a trailer headed south, and the sign says, we're spending our children's inheritance. No. Yeah, we could put one on our car that said, our children spend our retirement. <laughs> Maybe some of you can identify with that, right? Oh, and by the way, most inherited money, gone like that in six months. Now, Peter talks about the fact that we have an inheritance that is guaranteed. What's he talking about? Well, you look at what he's writing here. He says, it cannot be spent, it cannot be squandered, it cannot be contested. Oh boy, if you've ever been in, in, in a time of death in a family and a will is being contested, boy, that brings out some of the nastiest things in people I have ever seen. And, and that thing's going to be contested, and, and whether it's celebrities in the limelight or, or whether it's somebody down the street, I mean, it's an awful experience. But listen to what Peter says about our inheritance. It can never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's kept in heaven for you. Our inheritance is safe. Now, if you've got any valuables, I'm sure you have a thought that says you want to keep it in the safest place that you can. I think the safest place to keep something valuable in this world today where we live is the vault at Fort Knox, Kentucky. It, it houses $137 billion worth of our gold. And the door to that vault, 22 tons. There are 10 different segments to the combination that opens that vault. And 10 different staff people have portions of it, and they have to have all of those things together in the right sequence for that vault to open. And if you think you can crack that and get in there, you think about the fact that's on a military base. They got armed officers. They got M-16s. They got, uh, I don't know what all they got, all those weapons. They got uh, helicopter patrol, all those kinds of things. Now, you never make it because that is the safest place. And Fort Knox has not only been the place where we put gold and keep it for our country, but at the height of World War II, Fort Knox had the privilege of housing some of the most precious documents in the world. The Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and the, and the Gutenberg Bible. It's also housed the crown jewels from the English family and some of the reserve money from other European countries. That's a safe place, isn't it? Well, what is ours in terms of a spiritual inheritance is safer than that because it's kept by God in heaven. That's what Peter says to us. It's kept in the safest place of all. And I want you to look at that. Look at that with me for a few moments and think about that inheritance. What is that inheritance, first of all? Peter says, our inheritance is the fullness of our salvation. Now, you might say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. 
I thought you told me if I repented of my sin and trusted Jesus Christ, I'd experience salvation. That's absolutely true. That's the only way you do it. You repent of your sins, trust in Christ, and you let Jesus be, be the Lord of your life. But salvation really comes to us in three tenses. You look at the past and you say, that's when I was saved. You look now and you say, this is, I, I am being saved. God's working in my life and I'm being saved. And then ultimately in heaven, our salvation will be complete and perfect and fulfilled. And we say, I will have been made perfect then. And our salvation will be complete. That's the inheritance that he's talking about. Eternal life. Life in the kingdom of God. Everything that God wants to give to us. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8 that when we have the Spirit of God living in us, that we become a child of God. We're children of God. And that we are heirs of God. And that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That says everything God has for Jesus, He has for us as well. Now, that's some kind of inheritance, isn't it? Now, listen to how he described this. It never perishes. What's so important about that? It'll never die. That reward in heaven will never die. And in first chapter he talks about several things that, are in, that will never die. He says, your new birth is imperishable. The word of your redemption is imperishable. The mercy of God is imperishable. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is imperishable. And your inheritance is imperishable. Second thing he says is it never spoils. Most every food commodity we buy has what on it? An expiration date. There is nothing worse to get your day started off on a bad note than to get a bowl of cereal and pour some milk on it and it's out of date. You know, I just happen to think, what's going to happen the rest of the day if it starts out this way? It's got an expiration date on it. We have an expiration date on us as well, but that's a different story, even though it fits in with this. But, but Peter says that this, this inheritance will never spoil. It's not going to go out of date. It's eternal. It's there forever. Then he also says the third thing. He says it never fades away. The picture that Paul had, Peter had in mind when he wrote that uh, was of, a, of a, a winner in an athletic competition. And, and that that person would receive that, that garland of greenery that would be their crown that they would wear. They would run up the steps to where the king was enthroned. The king would take the winner's hand and lift it up in triumph. But in two or three days that wreath of, of leaves and flowers or whatever that had been made was going to turn brown. It's going to fade away, non-existence. He says, our inheritance will never fade away, never pass away. And then he reminds us how secure it is because he says it's kept by God. And the word kept there in the Greek language is in the perfect passive tense, which implies that what God did in Jesus Christ back then has a positive effect right now. That means that God is protecting it, that it is for all eternity and it also means that it has a profound influence on how we live every day, not just on Easter Sunday. And that leads to the third thing I want to say. Is that the hope of Easter guarantees your eternity in heaven. The hope that we have in this world is fulfilled in the next world. And that ought to mean two things for us. At least two things that I can think of. The first one is this, that we live now with a sense of confidence. So why did, why did Peter write that? Why did he get the, the nickname of being uh, the, the encourager with hope, the disciple of hope and the writer of hope? It's because the people he wrote to were going through difficult times. They, they needed to know that they had this living hope. And they needed to know that this was through Jesus Christ who defeated sin, death, and the grave. And if he could do that and he lived in them, then they could face every obstacle with, with hope and with a sense of confidence. 
So every one of us has something that we struggle with. You've got to get up. Maybe tomorrow you're off. Maybe this week you're off. But before long, you're going to have to face the reality of something you're going to have to struggle with. You know, it could be your job. Uh, it could be the lack of a job. It could be a relationship that's not going right. You know, it, it could be a health issue, some, something like that. All of those things are challenges in our life. And we don't simply overlook those and overgloss those things. But the reality is, when we have the Easter hope and the resurrection hope, the living hope of Jesus, we can face these issues with confidence. How do we know that? Look at what happened to those disciples. Read the book of Acts. Those early believers were willing to do anything and everything and face anything because they had that living hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ in their life. And boy, the church was alive and flourishing back then. And that's what the resurrection ought to mean to us every day. It's not just once a year on Easter, but every day. And the second thing it means, it means that we can live now with no fear of death. Some of you might have kept up with this um, news item about Hugo Chavez, 58-year-old president of Venezuela, died earlier this month on March 5th. Uh, he was a brash leader, uh, very critical of the United States. Oftentimes when he was with the diplomats of the United States paying for his meal, he still criticized us. But when he lay dying after a, a long battle with cancer, his last words were, please don't let me die. I don't want to die. That was a man who was afraid to die, wasn't it? See, if you have that living hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ in your life, then you don't have to face death with fear. That's why you see announcement in your bulletin. Next week we're going to start, Lord willing, uh, a sermon series on heaven. And six weeks we're going to look at heaven. I hope to address that correctly. Please pray for me with that. Uh, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven. You know, we all, everybody wants to, uh, to uh, dance on the pearl, on the on the streets of gold, uh, you got to wait a while for that, you know. There's all kind of speculation about what are people in heaven doing now. Uh, some things we have to just assume that they're doing, some we don't know that they're doing. You know, I hope to be able to answer some of those. Some people think that when we die we become angels, and that's certainly not the truth. Angels are created beings, and there are no other created beings. What we become is that we become uh, a, a new person again with a, with a different experience in heaven and then we ultimately get our resurrection body. But we're going to address those for six weeks. But, but, but we know that we can face death without any fear. Because of what God has provided for us. There are glimpses of it in the Bible. You know, you, you, you want to go on a trip, you want to get a travel brochure and know what it's going to be like. You plan a trip of a lifetime, you want to know what it's going to look like. Get a travel brochure, look through all of that. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? We've got pictures of it scattered all through the Bible. And you know what? It is absolutely fantastic. And that's why we don't have to face death with fear. It's God's way of transporting us out of this world and into the world of eternity with Him if we believe in Him and we claim Jesus Christ as our Savior. So, today we've talked about Easter and celebrating that living hope. It gives you the chance to start over with a new birth. If you need to make that decision, then you need to do that today. It gives you a new perspective on life. You face life with hope and confidence and not with fear and doom. And you can face the reality of your own death with confidence, knowing that everything in this world is nothing compared to the world of eternity that awaits you, because God is waiting there for you. So, what are you going to do on this Easter Sunday with this good news of the resurrection and the living hope? I pray that if you haven't made that decision to accept Christ, that today is a perfect day to do that on Easter Sunday. And if you're ready to join with us on Promise of Letter by Statement of Faith, this is the time to come.
Make it a wonderful Easter, a significant Sunday that you will remember forever and claim that living hope. Father, we thank you today that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He is indeed alive, that He conquered death and sin and the grave, and He reigns on heaven with you, seated at your right hand. And He's there to welcome us as we come and make our entrance from this world into that world. And so, Father, I pray that the reality of the hope of Easter, that living hope, will not only prepare us for eternity, but will prepare us for tomorrow and for every day after that, so that we face it with confidence and strength and courage that comes through the resurrected Christ. And I pray that in His name and for Your glory. Amen.